This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Today's episode is brought to you by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is a salon-quality hair color with an authentic personal touch. They bring the prestige pampered salon experience to the time-saving, money-saving convenience of your home. Made with ingredients you can feel good about, Madison Reed is the first-ever six-free permanent hair color free of ammonia, parabens, resorcinol, PPD, phthalates, and gluten. With 100% gray coverage and the support of Madison Reed expert colorists who will guide you every step of the way, you can color your hair at home with total confidence. Try it, love it, satisfaction and happiness are guaranteed. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the code BOOKRIOT. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 182. We're recording on Thursday, November 3rd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. I think we all need a moment. Rebecca and I just had a massive venting session. Oh, it was such a good moment. You're going to be getting this Sunday night, Monday, uh, especially for the users in the States, but I think uh, li- listeners probably all around the world are paying attention at least um, to the American election, the, the 2016 presidential election. And let's just just relax your shoulders, roll your shoulders back. Take a deep breath. You know, unclench whatever's clenched, you know. Uh, take a deep breath. And I cannot guarantee that everything will be okay, but it's going to happen. The, the, the clock's going to tick, and it's all, we're all going to be here. We'll be here next week. It's all going to be. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to go on, at it, least. It, 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 it'll go on. The drum will go on. Um, so I hope you all are weathering it. Rebecca and I were just saying, what what a remarkable individual toll it's taken. Both of us feeling mm-hmm. uh, just inordinate. Let's listen. I don't have anything. I don't know that anyone has anything compared to. But let, let me put it in a context for how I'm feeling about it. If if we can vent and be and be sharing for a moment, I was in it was in New York on November 11th, or September 11th. I was on the two train uh, underneath the World Trade Center when the first plane hit. Um, and I, th- they stopped my train at 96th Street. I was on the way up to Columbia uh, when I was in grad school then. Uh, Michelle was working down on uh, 23rd Street. Uh, and I walked five miles toward the World Trade Center to go get her towards this huge heaping, you know, fireball of disaster, not knowing what had happened, not knowing it was gone. And I was less stressed then than I feel right now about it. Is, is, that, is that crazy? Well, you got the shock factor. I guess. I, maybe I was just in, like, I got to go get Michelle mode. I don't even know shock what's going denial. on. We're going to yeah. go home. And, right. Um, and I guess it was sort of a contained event, it felt and like sur- at that point. That's ah. that's survival, and this is like we've been thinking about it for yeah. 18 months. Sort of the, the cumulative anxiety about it is uh, n- not a joke. And I'm sure the psychologists will be studying. I mean, everyone's going to be studying this uh, as anything re- related to it is going to be writing papers about it forever. But I'd be curious because, you know, around September 11th, that was like one of the first times I think we talked about sort of, uh, you know, widespread sort of PSD when you were just watching on television mm-hmm. and stuff like this. Like, I, I don't know. Some other yeah, phenomenon sort of, is happening. Like here, I don't socially know. shared, collective. Yeah. Stress yeah. and trauma. 
So it's, it's not just you. If you're feeling it, like this, it's, it's not, not just, just you. you. It's not just you. And sometimes we, that's helpful. Yeah, it is not just you. I, there's not a relationship in my life, coworkers, friends, family, mm-hmm. that uh, in which I'm not seeing conversations just about how awful yeah. it is right now. My um, relationship with my kids' Halloween candy is feeling it. Um, oh, mm-hmm. It's... Uh, it's been a it's been a, a, a slaughter. Like, I've basically worn out my yoga mat. I yeah. had to buy a new yoga mat, and like it's you know that's yoga is good, but maybe not for purely reasons of like my head will explode right. if I don't do it. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so and we were also talking that our, our own reading has been affected. Yeah, mine, mm-hmm. mine certainly has. Um, oh yeah, you said I can't. Has. Ah. I can't read basically anything. We're having a very that, difficult time. That is serious. At all, except in these like very magical contained moments where it's like, oh, okay, my brain feels clear mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to read this serious thing. I can't read anything that feels like it's the thing I'm supposed to be reading, which yeah. matters for the All the Books podcast and reading on the, the calendar. And I just like, I just want to like get in the bubble bath until next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the one, I mean, and, and this is a segue for real, but it's also true that like the one, the little I've done has been audiobook walking, like, mm-hmm. you know, walking around a little bit or driving because there's nothing else to do. Like there's, you know, I can't check 538 from while well, I'm in my car driving or at least not responsibly. So I put on an audiobook there. So Audible's back to sponsorship. I want to talk, but I haven't made a lot of progress in it I, to be cool. I mean, I've, I've done some more than I've done in, in text reading, but I've made a uh, an audio, but Audible is back. So if you're looking for a place, um, you know, that's what it does. It's audiobooks. That, what, wherever else you might use audiobooks, that's really what they do is they provide another way to get more books into your life. You know, some of you have long commutes. Um, some of you might do jobs that let you uh, do a lot of audiobook listening. Um, I know I, I've, I've talked with some architects the other day, and they do a lot of drawing, you know, of course, on the computer. But it's not verbal necessarily, so that some mm-hmm. of them find that they can listen to podcasts and audiobooks while they're doing their job, which is super cool. Um, and with Audible, it's the world's largest provider of uh, audio content, not just audiobooks anymore. They have podcasts, uh, you know, content from business information providers, magazines, newspapers, things like that. You can go to Audible dot com slash book riot get a free 30-day trial start listening i pre-ordered an auto audiobook this week which oh, I have, i've never done before you want to you could probably guess it you might not you're not gonna be surprised when i tell you what it is but you <laughs> might be able to guess. it's coming out next month which is a december release which is oh, unusual it's, it's a december release mm-hmm. guesses i don't know i was gonna guess that it when i thought it was november but just not out yet yeah. i was gonna guess wonderland by stephen johnson oh it's an excellent guess that. you're in the right you're in the right uh Let's you, that's that wasn't a fastball down the middle, but that was a strike. You pitched a strike there. Yeah, that's Outside I mean corner. that's solidly in yeah. your strike zone. Yeah. But what is it? The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis coming out December sixth. Ah, it's about Israeli psychologist Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky and their series of heart or breathtaking original studies undoing our assumptions about the decision making process. Oh my gosh, a Michael Lewis book about Daniel Kahneman. I don't know. Like, I I mean, is, can you die? Can, I don't know. Like the, the dopamine hit might be so intense that I'm going to black out. Like someone's going to find me on the sidewalk just like with my earbuds <laughs> in. Like and Michelle's like, oh my god, he started the he started the undoing project. <laughs> like it's one of those things it's like you know don't operate it's like they, I should this should be the same warning they give to like pregnant women going on roller coaster like just you know like, if you have a heart condition if you're pregnant if you might have been drinking if you didn't sleep well last night if you've right. been if you've lived through 2016 right. just make sure you're someplace where if you fall you're not gonna hit anything hard right. this is the equivalent of me getting a like Marilyn Robinson 
and Toni Morrison interview President Obama or Terry Tempest Williams, no. Cheryl Strait and Brene Brown all write a book together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's crossing the streams. Uh, it's just really, I, I don't know. Like I said, for a nonfiction book, I don't know that I could be more excited about one. I, I really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know. I, thinking fast and slow is my own personal, uh, you know, Torah of thinking. Um, and uh, I, I've read I've read other secondary texts about Kahneman and Tversky. I've even read some of their papers, which I didn't understand, but I you know sort of marvelled. But you felt good doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so that that's my pick. It's going to come out in a month, but that's that's I, all all audiobook roads now are pointing toward the Undoing Project for me. Mm, that's great. I have been listening to uh, I'm Judging You by Lovey ah. Ajayi, which is exactly the speed that, of a thing that I can listen to right now. She's ranting about friendships and culture and ways that people misbehave and how everyone can do better. And she's funny and smart and not bitter, or at least like not so bitter that it overtakes <laughs> the funny. Right. Uh, and that's been that's been perfect, especially for little like bite size dog walks and, and errand runnings. Uh, she's great. So Thank you yeah. to Audible. Those are our recommendations. You know, the um, the first link we have this week is not opening for me. Is it opening oh, for you? Oh, let me see. Is it the Publisher's, Publisher's Weekly, Weekly one? Link? Um, oh, it's not opening for me either. Well, we can, we can summarize just very briefly. Yeah. So, well, we talked uh, about this before, right? Yeah, yeah. We talked last week about hearing that there was going to be a new direction for Book Expo, that it mm-hmm. was no longer Book Expo America. They were rebranding to Book Expo. They were going to tighten things up around providing better value for bookseller attendees and sort of going back to the original mission of connecting publishers with booksellers for book sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are doing that. They're getting rid of Book Blogger Con this year as well. Is that what the of, new news that we're going to talk about? The, that uh, part that's or, going okay. away. The you, I think it's called You Publish You was like the self-publishers workshop series that they mm-hmm. were doing before. They're getting rid of that programming. Uh, BEA or Book Expo now is going to be like a half day shorter. It's only two days instead of two and a half. And they are cutting the number of like non-publisher, non-sales attendees um, back down to 6,000, which I read at the highest point, it was 10,000. So there will be fewer bloggers accepted um, to attend, uh, probably fewer or potentially fewer press. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, the, I mean, the end of Book Blogger Con, I think, is interesting. I don't know if our listeners are particularly interested. I think that's super interesting for you and I, both personally and professionally, right? Because mm-hmm. right. we've 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 ridden the wave um, from being individual bloggers mm-hmm. uh, to you know basically being well, we are professional book media now, um, and the trajectory of book blogs as a feature of the bookish world. I don't know. It seems it seems like it's crashed harder than ebooks have crashed, which have seemed to have plateaued a little bit. But it does seem like they go hand in hand a little bit. Like they were both both around twenty two thousand eight to twenty ten. Would you say was the white hot book blog? Uh, Maybe it's just because that's when I was in it the most. I, well, yeah, I mean that's when I started in two thousand eight, and then mm-hmm. by you know mid twenty eleven, we were talking about Book Riot. Yeah, but Book Blogger Blogger Con was the first one was like two thousand nine. Was that the first one? I think so. So, because I went into 2010. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I'm looking ahead past Tuesday. Um, uh, was 20, uh, April of 2010, and I my my blog was I think six weeks old. It was in New York, and I just went because I was like, well, I might as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we met. That's when we met. Yeah, and then and then so I don't know. It's hard to know. Like, but it seems like the but the other thing people publicists were trying to get in front of book bloggers all the time then. 
and I wonder if that, I wonder how much is that still true? Like if we talk to a rank and file publicist at a big five publisher for an imprint, like how much of their time did they, do they spend now worrying about book blogs, um, individual book blogs that they, mm-hmm. as they did mm-hmm. five years ago? Does that make sense? Like, a, Yeah, it does. And I think probably less because of the proliferation of like NetGalley and Edelweiss yeah. that right. um, yes. most of the book yes. bloggers who want you know, to be getting review copies, can read them digitally, can request them digitally through those services and publicists can approve people sort of en masse Mm -hmm. rather than having these individual relationships about what can I send you in the mail. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are so many individual book bloggers that just keeps like, it seems to me that that community does keep growing and growing um, that you can't possibly pay attention to no, everybody as no. a publicist. The number of them to pay attention to uh, is just huge. And more of them are smaller now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it was that thing previously, or it felt to me like in 2010, there were sort of a cluster of like a dozen really recognizable ones. Um, and then some mid-tier, like we could use publisher, you know, sort of book analogies. Yeah. Like there were sort of the best-selling book blogs. And there's a mid-list. And then there's the mid-list. And yeah. then there were a whole lot mm-hmm. of smaller ones. And and they all had different goals and different things they wanted to do or didn't want to do with publishers. Um, but it was easier, I think, for publicists to identify like the ones that they should be in touch with. And and publishers were pretty like, well, we should be doing this. We should be getting our books out there. This is a way to do direct yeah. to consumer kind of. Um, but then they obsessed a lot about like, what's the ROI of like sending a book to a blogger? And should we make them promise to review things? And some of the publishers have rolled out those programs. Um, I know that BloggerCon, like BloggerCon began as a... Um, not individual, but like as a private endeavor, essentially. Yes. And then Reed um, bought it, right? Reed bought it. And the first year that it ran after Reed Expo bought it, there was tension about like, this is supposed to be a convention for bloggers to connect with each other and get education and tips. And it really felt like they were being, a lot of them wrote about uh, after the fact, feeling like they were just being served up uh, to the publishers and publicists that attended BloggerCon mm-hmm. as well as like, rather than here, come and learn about things. It was like, let's all get, let's gather you in a room for the publishers who will pay to get access to bloggers and just the feeling about it in the industry has shifted. I think it's probably time of blogger con to go away. I am still wearing my, it's like half a tinfoil hat about uh, Reed's intentions. Uh, We've heard from booksellers that they have found Book Expo to be less useful the Mm -hmm. last several years as more people have attended it, that it's been harder to sit down with publishers, that there have been the distractions of people attending to get galleys. I believe all of that's real. I also believe that the financial concerns that we've heard Mm -hmm. are real and that if you ditch BloggerCon and you ditch uh, bloggers getting access to the Book Expo show floor, but they still want to come to a book Mm. thing and connect with each other, the option that they have is to buy a ticket to BookCon. Yeah, it could Uh, be. I mean, I think it could be that multiple things can be true here. One is that um, if they really are reorienting the expo of BEA for booksellers, the booksellers have nothing to do. And the the, BloggerCon is of absolutely no value to an individual bookseller. Um, But because from my experience, and I'm not sure even knew this when I first started going to BEA, I thought it was things for – it was like publishers wanted to go to BEA for a variety of related reasons. Mm. I'm not sure I even knew that it was a – supposed to be or originally intended to be for individual booksellers to come and basically look over the wares, right, and decide what they're going to put on their shelves. So at its at its core, you can you go if you went even this year. That's not obvious. I mean, I don't know how 
there's, we're there, there's a bunch of bloggers there, there's media there, there's a bunch of people, like all the people that are doing like technology publisher services stuff, Mm-hmm. Like those aren't for booksellers. That's for, that's for me. That's for industry. You know, the yeah, publishing it feels side. like it should kind of be like publishing expo. Yeah. That's what I always felt like. So it's going to take a real rethinking and BloggerCon going away is certainly part of it. But also I think one thing that's happened is that BEA is not as critical for publishers as it has been for a variety of reasons. And so they need to figure out who they can provide value for. And mm-hmm. the last man standing here, I think, is individual booksellers. Go back, you know, uh, dance with the girl what brought you um, yeah. and, and go that way. Because I, I do think for independent booksellers um, that deal in print, they're customer to customer. They spend actual money with publishers, probably giving them more time um, as a, to, use the, to use the ROI acronym. It probably makes more sense mm-hmm. than trying to get in front of a million different book bloggers and things like that. I mean, going back to the book blog world and sort of, I don't know if it's a postmortem, that's probably unfair, but a state of the the disunion. Um, You know, back in 2010, Book Riot didn't exist, but there was no bustle books. There was no BuzzFeed books. There was no, like these these native digital online sort of book platforms like us, uh, Epic Mm -hmm. Reads of, you know, and some of the publisher initiative that's taken off and some of them have not. None of them existed. All there was for digital sort of publicity were individuals. Um, and explicitly, when we were putting Book Riot together, we thought, if people are reading all these book bloggers and there's all this attention right there, could we put them together and, like, you know, do something around, kind of marshal our forces and herd them together, have strength in numbers? So I don't know if some of that has, you know, some of the clout or the perceived influence of individuals has been supplanted by these larger platforms. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also just a story about how the internet supplants yeah, right. and obviates a lot of the need for uh, some face-to-face mm-hmm. interaction. A convention where you can go and talk, if you're a bookseller, where you can go and talk to a publisher and find out what they have coming up feels much more necessary if your only other option is to flip through a paper catalog. Yeah. But when you have access to email, when you have access to Edelweiss catalog, when you have access to talk to other booksellers through online communities and online communication, ditto for bloggers, ditto for press trying to reach mm-hmm. publishers. It, it changes everything. Like the cons that have gotten really big in the last few years are like that seem to be big because of what is happening in like geek culture in particular are feel to me like they are getting big in part because the internet has created these extra points of connection for communities and then they get a chance to meet each other face to face at these conventions. But when the convention just exists to serve a practical purpose, like selling your new titles into stores or making people aware of your new titles, the internet provides so many ways to do that thing and makes the physical meeting less necessary. Um, And so in some ways, I think we might be looking at the one of the last gasps of Book Expo because it just may not be a thing that needs to exist yeah. anymore. No, you and I talked, I mean, we're working on, we always work on stuff for Book Riot. I don't want to tip our hand, but we were talking about how difficult it is to navigate future releases, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like even, even if you get the, you know, I was looking at Bloomsbury's winter 2017 catalog. It's a PDF, Right. You know, and, and I can, and that's that's the best experience because you go to NetGalley or Edelweiss. If you know what you're looking for, you can find it. But in terms of trying to find what's right for your bookstore, I think I think probably it's worth it for people to go somewhere and talk to sales reps and look at the things and hear what they have to say and not just read the blurb and whatever. Like, I think there might be still some residual value there. I, yeah. I think there might be. 
I think there's some residual, but like the major publishers also have boots on the ground sales reps. Well, that's that are, true. That's, whose but job do, do they it is go to, to Dubuque, Iowa? I mean, I know they do the east, I, the northeastern corridor, but I, some of them do. They must. I guess they must. Yeah, I guess they. Yeah, must. my like from the stores that we have here in Richmond, my understanding is that they get visits from reps from some of mm. the major publishers, but not all of them. I mean, um, it seems like Richmond what my, is like right. a sort of third level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm thinking of my beloved Lawrence, Kansas. Like, does someone come to the Raven? from SNS. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they do. If, you, if you're an independent bookstore, this is the thing you would know. This is exactly what Hive Mind listenership is for. But I'm just thinking like from a, from a, you know, a, a cost perspective, it might be worth it for publishers like to go in and like, if you own a bookstore in one of these zip codes, we'll cover your ticket to get to BEA. Oh, that's smart. So that we, yeah, don't, that have to, we don't have to hire someone and have the, or, yeah. you know, drive cars. And you know, like, we, the, the Midwest is big. People forget yeah. that. Like to yeah. get from Omaha to Lawrence, like a five hour drive. And that's, you know, that's just a little part of it. So yeah, I wonder, actually, like, go ahead. Oh, oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, actually, like a year maybe before we started Book Riot, mm-hmm. I interviewed for a Random House sales rep oh, position. Yeah. yeah, that was was exactly that. It was like, you'll have a home office that we pay for, and you'll have a company car that we pay for, and you would drive like that. The territory here was like mm-hmm. D.C., um, all of Virginia, Richmond, uh, and into North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And that's so much expense to be covering oh, when God, you could just like, yeah. pay for a couple plane and tickets. And so much time, uh, time mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, uh, of the dearly departed... Um, books on the nightstand, uh, poor forty yeah. out kindness and Kingman. That was their gig, right? Mm-hmm. They were sales reps for Random House. That they, yeah. and and the their sales reps are. I mean, there's a lot of hidden value in publishing, but sales reps are one of them, right? I mean, they know mm-hmm. the catalogs. They know the they ter- do. You got to know the territory to mm-hmm. quote the music man. So, um, the the uh, interesting job, and there's uh, it, they know they have a lot of domain knowledge that's d- difficult to replicate. So, mm-hmm. I don't know that a plane ticket to BEA once a year right. certainly couldn't do that, but. If you're trying to cover, say, Montana, Idaho, Colorado, you you know, like you can see suddenly it gets unwieldy um, to try to get people around. Okay, let's let's right. move on. This More is, on bookstores. Yeah, this this is. Uh, I have to say, I'm shocked by this one. <laughs> and is that weird to say before I before we tell the people tell them tell them I'm should, should I be over, shocked about this? I think I'm over being surprised by what you're shocked and not shocked. You just by. don't. It's it's just it's just it's just you don't know. Okay. Yeah. So you don't care. It's, uh, who what who cares what I'm shocked about? That's an excellent. Well, there point. are things that I think you're going to be shocked by and you're not. And oh, then okay. That you are that I'm. Well, like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm full okay. of surprise. So what this is is. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think this has always been the case at these Amazon bookstores. It I has could be not. Wrong. But so it is a new thing that's going on, and you can tell in this picture I'm looking at. It's like there's a sign on a clipboard that's like stuck to the wall. Um, so this is at Seattle's, Uni- Seattle's University Village Amazon Bookstore. So one of these new physical bookstores, and this is the one that's in Seattle. There's a new pricing scheme. Originally, we had been told, it had been reported, uh, and even um, Peter Damien went to this one for us said it was the case that the books on the shelves were the same price as what it would cost to get them online. This is no longer the case. If you are an Amazon Prime member, the prices are the same. If you are not a Prime member, they're list price. List price. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon devices are the same price as Amazon.com. So if you're buying a Kindle or a, I don't even know what other uh, – Amazon Echo, I guess, is something else they have. Um, but otherwise, you're going to pay 27 bucks for hardback. This this is I think this is a really fascinating look it's, into Amazon's yes. strategy. I am not shocked by it, but I'm really interested. Interested, okay, in, fair, yeah. In it, um, that and somebody I think I, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or on yeah. our uh, back channel 
with the contributor, someone was like, oh, you know, well, getting asked at the Amazon checkout, if you're a Prime member to get a discount, they already do that at Barnes & Noble. Mm. But this is a different, it's a different setup. At Barnes & Noble, it's like the best sellers are 20% off. But if you pay your $25 a year to be a Barnes & Noble member, you get 30% off mm-hmm. membership. Or you just, you get a deeper discount than anything else. It's not very common that, I, I think at least that's the case. If I'm wrong for present day Barnes & Noble stuff, let me know. Um, but that it's, it's uncommon that members get like, just a flat discount that yeah. on a thing where there's no discount available on that item mm-hmm. um, to a non-member. And so I think this is a push. Like we were, Jen was tweeting about like, clearly books are the loss leader here, but how do you have a store that's just full of loss leaders? Mm-hmm. It's t- They're trying to sell prime memberships. Yep. It's $99 a year to get a prime membership or $10.99 a month if you're uh, if you have them bill you monthly. And that's what they want. You're already in this store. You want the new Ruth Bader Ginsburg mm-hmm. memoir. You don't want to pay $27.99 for it. Maybe the prime cost is $15.99 and you start doing the math of like, I can pay a hundred bucks for mm-hmm. a year and save a bunch of money on my books and on a bunch of other things. I'm just going to do it. And then when you need a vacuum cleaner, you're going to Amazon instead of Walmart yeah. and buying your vacuum cleaner with right. your prime membership. Right. Yeah, I, I guess it's the same strategy. Basically, instead of just promoting Amazon.com back in 96, this is promoting Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime is sort of the camel under the, the, mm-hmm. the edge of the tent for getting people into the Amazon ecosystem. Because once you have Prime, and I can test from the personal experience, it's damn easy just to get your, um, you know, let's see, I'm trying to think, what, what are we getting? Razor blades, you know, all the all the stuff of living. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, super easy all of a sudden. And then you basically have, you're competing with, this is a way of laterally asymmetric warfare with like your Walmarts and Targets of the world, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, get them in the prime ecosystem, use books as, use that discount they can provide on a book. It doesn't cost them that much um, to offer you 10 bucks off a book, really. Um, get you into the prime ecosystem and then you're off to the races and they can sell you a million things and market to you and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it works. Oh, like, hey, I, I yes, it does. To the degree to which it has worked on me, I caved to prime for the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> but today, like an hour ago, I got a box in the mail from Amazon that had my new yoga mat and my new Sonicare toothbrush oh, and yeah. a book that I need to read for Book Riot Live. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like, it's, you, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 a really interesting strategy, and I, you know, as we're all trying to make good decisions about being consumers, it might be useful just to think about like, uh, you know, what Amazon is selling, and Amazon's selling the the convenience, right? I think that's what it really comes. It's price and convenience because you get it two day free shipping. You know, I need more, you know, I need more baby wipes. Uh, I know they'll come on Thursday if I get them today. It's it's super easy, and then they've got all they have. There's a there's a whole bunch of pointed spears pointing at you. You know, it's the TV, it's the Kindle Unlimited. You know, we we're just talking about. I don't know if we were talking about last week. You know, there's some free audiobooks included now in your oh, Prime yeah, I think membership. It's Fifty at a time. Fifty. You know, there's a, this little, you know, basically a rotating, smallish library of things you get to. But still, it's suddenly you start looking at the value proposition. You're like, boy, it seems like a certainly good deal to sign up for ninety nine bucks, and then you're buying a lot of your stuff from Amazon. That that's what they're doing. And I, that we, we've wondered about the what's the goal of these bookstores. And I think this clarifies in a lot of ways for me. It's like, oh, it's about getting people signed up for Prime. That makes sense to me. 
Yep. That makes more sense to me than anything I could come up with before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does make sense. This seems pretty clear. It's still so fascinating to me that this is all just books, like that books are the lost leader, that books are yeah. Amazon's foot in the door mm-hmm. um, for things. But it does feel like a going back to the original strategy yeah. of use books to get the people to do the, the bigger thing that we want them to do, which is buy all of their cheap stuff from us and not from someone else. But it is interesting, uh, too, that it wasn't the strategy coming out of the gate. Like it wasn't on day one, there was a big placard saying, right. like something has changed, I yeah, guess. And like right now, there aren't enough of these Amazon physical well, you stores think so, yeah. for this to make a big difference in the bottom line of prime membership purchases. Mm. Um, so maybe it's an experiment there, um, but it's still very interesting to guess, see that I guess yeah, what you, you said you were thinking about why books, that's a really good point, you know, like that they would be the ones, the loss leader. I think it's because... Bookstore. I think we've talked about this in a, in different situations before. Maybe about sort of the resilience of physical bookstores. People like to go to bookstores. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of content marketing, right? Like you like to go to a bookstore. You like to. What other store do you really like to go to where you could be sold in person a Prime membership? Wall, uh, uh, what what a best like a, a Amazon electronics store? I I guess that would be maybe some percent of the population, but a bookstore still has that. You know, romance, the pleasure, you know, Ella Fitzgerald playing in the background. There's, you know, it's a pleasant experience. You spend some time there. You feel good while you're there. You know, I, I think it's it's just it's a, it's, a, it's a way to get people in the door just sort of naturally because people, people who like books like to go to bookstores. Okay. All right. Let's move on. We got to thank our next sponsor yeah, this week. It. And then we're going to go into deep stats corner about titles with girl in yeah. them. Yeah. But first, we want to thank Balls by Chris Edwards. Changing your sex from female to male takes balls, literally. And if you're going to do it in front of 500 coworkers at one of the top ad agencies in the country, you better have a big set. At a time when the term transgender didn't really exist, Chris Edwards endured 28 surgeries to become the man that he always knew he was meant to be. He's a pioneer who changed the perception of an entire community. And this is his memoir. Uh, Balls will touch your heart and open your mind. It's written about his transition from female to male in the 90s. Um, He began the transition in 19 1995, while he was working at Arnold Worldwide, which is a large ad agency in Boston. This was a time in the culture where our discussions and understanding of what it meant to be trans were really far from what they are today. Um, And throughout his transition, he used what he learned working in advertising to functionally rebrand himself to his family and friends and colleagues. Uh, So in being open and honest about his experience in the new book, he hopes to change perceptions by creating a better understanding of what it's like to be trans, as well as serve as a resource and an everyday success story to those who may maybe experiencing gender dysphoria who are making some sense of their gender identity and who might feel like they're alone or that it won't ever get better. Um, He also hopes to show that being trans doesn't have to define a person forever unless they want it to, uh, and that it's possible to to go through this, to go through 28 surgeries. Um, He's one of the few transgender men in the country who have elected to undergo the most complex version of the surgery, which did require 22 procedures over the course of five years. Um, It's understandably a really sensitive and a highly uh, personal topic. This uh, phalloplasty is the uh, scientific term for the surgery within the transgender community. And Chris was compelled to share his experience in an effort to help dispel some of the misconceptions and misunderstandings that he sees along it. So 
really important, I think really timely also. Um, again, the book is called Balls, It Takes Some to Get Some by Chris Edwards. And it uh, came out in October by from Greenleaf Book Group. So it is available wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it for you in the show notes as well. Well, we're going to give you a reason to go to 538. Um, that's besides checking the uh, local, the, you know, the, oh, right. the the Senate race in Florida uh, or something else like that. Um, they did. So we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. um, both both uh, jocularly and somewhat seriously, that the trend of books with girl in the title. Uh, at one point when we were mocking up a version of Book Riot, our designer, Scott, um, you made up a fake book called The Girl in the Field. And we just used it for our, you know, where our ads would go and things like that. I'm pretty sure that if we had run fake ads for it on the site, we could have gotten fake. Yeah, the joke was we could have gotten a, 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 you know, a a low five figure advance for it just on the cover alone. Um, But 538, they they did some they did some looking at those, you know, this Mm -hmm. trend of books with girl in the title. Boy, I just had a brain fart there. Um, Yeah, so uh, Emily St. John Mandel pulled, who is an author, um, pulled the. Uh, Who wrote Station Eleven? I was sorry. I have to stop there real quick because I was shocked and I was like. Really? She? I hope they paid her. She, they must have paid her a bunch. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So she used the database from Goodreads mm-hmm. to look at all these titles that have girl in them. And she's wondering aloud all the things that we have wondered that mm-hmm. you all have wondered too. Why are there so many of these books? Because publishing is an industry ruled by mystery and chance and we don't know the magic formula. And she talks about how there's no, there, it's not that there's no data. There is data. Like as a Penguin Random House author, she can log into a portal that shows her real-time data about her sales, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't tell her like why a book is selling and publishers can have the feeling of like uh, some correlative stuff of like, oh, well, you appeared on this talk show or so-and-so recommended the book and then the sales spiked. But we don't know anything other than people just seem to think that this girl thing matters. And so they trace it. Uh, You can see that we may not have reached peak girl yet. There are some great graphs like uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo debuted in Sweden um, in 2005, but it was called Men Who Hate Women there. Mm -hmm. Um, It came out in the US in 2008. And at that point, about 4.4% of books on Goodreads uh, in 2008 had girl in the title. Uh, Gone Girl came out in 2012, and it was up to about 0.5%. And then now in 2016, it looks like like 0.9-ish percent. Um, So it's more than doubled. Like we're still at a very small percentage of titles in any given year. Feature the the word girl. But But almost one in a hundred. Like that's that's enough for us to notice, right? Like there's, you know, you're looking at a catalog and. Right. um, Almost one percent. Yeah. I guess, too, it says the first title they peg is Girl with a Dragon Tattoo debuting debuting in Sweden in 2005. At that point, it's 0.4. But if you look back, they go. Uh, she goes all the way back to ninety five, mm-hmm. and already by then there was almost point three. Yeah. So it's not from zero. So it roughly doubled from ninety five to two thousand eight when, and then it's doubled again. So the trend is up. But then if you look over the last year, right, it's, it's doubling fifty percent relatively yeah, from point six to point nine. Yeah, it's doubling faster. Yeah. So I don't know what they mean by I don't know what would Pete girl would look like a hundred percent every book. I don't know what they mean by that, but. <laughs> The girl with the girl, the girl who was a girl. It's just going to be called girl. Yeah. Well, uh, as these these kinds of uh, graphs that go uh, 
parabolic like this often have bad endings. You know, like this is going right. to crash, right? This is not yeah. this is not the new normal. This is just can't be the right. Case. Uh, so some more interesting facts about it, and this is uh, the data set is the 800 that she's working from for this stat is the 810 most popular girl mm-hmm. books on Goodreads that aren't cookbooks, aren't for children or young adults. That young adults then, one is interesting, don't you yeah, think? Maybe it is a problem. I wonder what it would look like if yeah. they factored in YA titles mm-hmm. and that have more than 250 ratings. 79% of the titles that have girl in them are written by women. Um, Two thirds of the time, the titular girl is actually a woman. Uh, so that's uh, 65% of the girl characters are actually adults. Uh, and there's been much speculating, uh, real interesting speculating and discussion about why call, uh, why, mm. why girl instead of woman or something else. Um, most of the time the girl is okay in 85% of these 810 books that she analyzes. The, the woman ends up alive at the end, but less so if the author is a dude. 90% of the girl books written by women end with a woman alive. Only 68% of the girl books written by men end up with the woman alive. Mm. And they're, they are in peril much more frequently. Um, the girl is missing or lost in 15% of the books written by men and in only about 5% of the books written by women. That's so weird so. because since Gone Girl, I, I, I would you say it's the um, prime example of this, like this is what we think of, like Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn is like, when you think of, well, I guess Girl on the Train. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And in both of those, like both of those women authored and uh, the statute of limitations for Gone Girl spoilers yeah, is Yeah, wah, 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 uh, so spoiler horn. She's not actually gone. Right. You know, she's I guess she is actually, okay. I, she's yeah, not actually missing <laughs> or, or lost. She's mm-hmm. just, a, her husband just doesn't know where she is, but she is gone. She's, you know, yeah. she's fine. Um, and I think, you know, uh, this is really interesting to see the hard numbers for it. My, you know, speculating about how we end up in this place is that it's a lot easier if you're a guy to be like, to tell a story that you think is entertaining about yeah, a terrible kill the girl happening the to end. a woman, yeah. right? She's, then she's it is kidnapped as a, and tortured. Women know, no deal. right. Women yeah. know the daily experience of, you know, mm. that it's not flattering mm. when that strange guy winks at you in the grocery store because you don't know if he's the one who's going to be the one to, to like throw you in the back of his van. Mm. Um, and, and so women are less likely, I think, to try to tell a story that hinges entertainment or being titillated on what's going to happen to this woman. Cause we are, we feel that fear every day. It's not entertaining. Yeah. And I guess gone girl in a way is it's a version of that, you know, right. Of just the mm-hmm. girl is gone and we assume certain things because of things. And you know, it's, it's flips it. That's what made it yeah. uh, maybe a little more interesting. Right. That's what made gone girl. So yeah. remarkable was uh, that she, that the character is controlling the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to see. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Are you surprised by anything here? No, I think it's like the especially this thing about how much more frequently bad things happen to the yeah. girl characters in male authored books is like predictably disappointing. Right. Yeah, yeah, expectedly awful. Um mm-hmm. I guess the one that if you would ask me what percentage of fiction for adults has girl in the title, I wouldn't have no idea. So that's the I guess that's the one where I'm, I didn't know what to guess. The other ones feel more right. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if I would have guessed these exact percentages, but it feels like the, the topography of the data is about what I would expect it. But almost 1% of books having girl in the title, I, I think I wouldn't have guessed it was that high. I, I just don't know. 
Um, and that really the trend, I don't know if we had all historical data, like going back to, you know, 1890 or something like this mm-hmm. in American publishing, like how many have girl in the title, Maggie girl, the streets, you know, that goes, that's long, that's, a, that's old. Um, right. so was it hovering at a 0.2% for a long time? And then somehow around 2000 is when this graph really takes, starts to, to go up for whatever reason that, that, uh, precedes Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Girl with the Train. Mm-hmm. Um, something about titling and plot um, was interesting. I mean, I guess the other interesting comparison would be about books about women in general that don't have girl in the title. How do the plots, are they are, are they more likely to be okay if it's the book is about a woman, but they don't mention that, they don't use the word girl in the title? Oh, interesting. Or what about books that use the word woman? Or books like how use, often does a woman character get raped in yeah, a book by a man or, or, a or that uses bo- or uses um, uh, nouns that signify femininity, daughter, mother, sister, because there's a lot of those, too. Right. I, yeah. There was there was a while where everything was yeah. the something's wife. Yeah. The, the arsonist second niece. Um, <laughs> and, well, even I mean, even I think Shaban was playing with that. Right. Because uh, uh-huh. the book Grady Tripp writes in Wonder Boys is called Arsonist Daughter, which is right. a great title. It but is also a, great a satire of great time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, um, so that would be interesting to know too. Is there something about is girl particularly loaded? So that if you're telling certain kinds of stories, you're more likely to get your book titled girl because it's also it's not always the author's decision what the title ends up to be. Well, right, and so like, an well, girl is not politicized in the way that woman yeah. is politicized. Girl is like conveys some innocence. Girl mm-hmm. conveys us a particular lack of agency that an adult woman. Uh, should have that agency girl conveys perhaps, you know, weakness that things happen to this character rather than that she takes control of them. And uh, we have responses to like women insisting on being called women only really in the last few years in the culture has it become common and more acceptable for like for women to point out to their male coworkers, like don't refer to her as a girl. Mm -hmm. Like this is a woman you're talking about. That's not a girl in that meeting. Um, And I, I think there, I've read all sorts of articles about this happening um, that we just, you know, refer to grown women as girls all over the place. And so, of course, it happens in books as well. But that's not an accident. Our language means things. It is so Um, interesting, too. You're right that, like, an equivalent trend with boy as a substitute for man would it mm-hmm. makes your brain hurt. Like, that's your my brain is just like, that would never happen. And it wouldn't well, it, because of, you know, gender yeah, the norm boy, stuff. The boy on the train, everyone would assume is a children's. Yeah, right. Boy in the striped pajamas. That's an actual boy. Right. Right. Um, I There's guess no way that we're writing boat, a book. That one sold a million copies. And I think that was about that was uh, about athletes that we would probably call young men at this point. But it's nice alliteration. I don't know. Who knows? What that kind of yeah. And there's that like sort of sportsy like the boys got him. The boys oh, won. Oh, yeah. Guy. Interesting. You know, like, yeah, our, yeah. our boys won. The boys are back in town. Right. Which is really about, uh, you know. But there's an infantilizing effect of boy mm. that we don't assume for girl when it, like, it, it reveals the same ideas. Yeah. Uh, but a book title, The Boy on the Train, Gone Boy, The Boy That Was Missing, All the Missing Boys, mm-hmm. All the Long Sad Boys in Fields, we would assume were books about kids. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not, no question. No question at all. So that's good. Um, I think if you're interested in this, there'll be a link in the show notes. You could also just, I'm sure, Google um, The Gone Girl with the Dragon Tattoo on the Train. Is the, I think which is a joke maybe I've even made myself before. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a nice secondary uh, affirmation that um, a great author like uh, Emily yeah. St. John. Everybody is fascinated it. by this trend and yeah. doesn't 
know what to make of it. Yeah, I still I feel like I know I know less to make of it. I, I think I understand a little bit the gender politics of the girl in the title, but how it connects to commercial interests around books and stories is a little more opaque to me, I have to admit. Yeah, I think it's just trying to ride a wave of a trend in the same way that for a while after Twilight, everything was like angsty love triangles Mm -hmm. in in young adult. And now young adult is sort of leaning back more towards realistic fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, In between there, it was like for a while, everything was dystopian, riding the waves of the Hunger Games because publishers wanted to put out things that booksellers and librarians and teachers could say like, this is the next thing to read if you loved the Hunger Games. And I think now it's just familiarity. Like, oh, I read this other book with girl in the title that I liked. So maybe I'll pick this one up too. Are you ready for my next outrage? (laughs) Outraged. Yes. Outraged. Speaking of Goodreads. Give it Goodreads Choice Awards. So this is, you know, we we talk about this. I think we find this among the year-end list type things or something that ends up, it turns into a year-end list. We like this for a lot of reasons um, as a, you know, as as spectators because there's a lot of voting and there's a lot of categories and whatever. And I'm looking at the fiction opening round nominees. Mm -hmm. Did you look at this yet? Oh, yeah. You know what's not on here? Tell me. The Underground Freaking Railroad is not even an opening round nomination. Look, I don't say it has to win. I'm not saying it has to win. I'm not even saying it has to be a final. But it has, you have to. There's no way. It has to be. It has to, it has to be among. It ha, there's, there's eight, 12. There's, there's 15 titles here. There's 15 titles. There's, there's not room for Underground Railroad. I, I, do, I don't understand. I really don't understand it. I really don't. Do you understand it? Well, so I understand how this works. Yeah. Is that Goodreads is pulling from their data and they don't, re- they don't say exactly They don't how. say what filters they use. That, yeah, they, but they say that it's done algorithmically, that this is not, these are not editorial selections, but that somehow like they're programming their computers to pull all the titles that do X, Y, and Z, or that are the products of some formula. Yeah. And one of the things undoubtedly that goes into that is how many ratings a book Mm -hmm. has got. And so it's possible that the Underground Railroad is new enough that it hasn't had time to accumulate all the ratings that like the Well, your algorithm is garbage if that's true. You have a garbage algorithm. Like, let's look at this. So like The Girls by Emma Klein, that came out pretty early in the year. Mm -hmm. The Association of Small Bombs by um, Karan Mahajan, which is an excellent book that came out. by Ford just came out. In January. Right. The Nest was out early in the year though. What is Not Yours is Not Yours by Helen Oyayemi. That was earlier. Um, So not all of them are early, but like some of them have had some time to accumulate ratings. Um, The Underground Railroad is also not a super fun topic to read about. And so we were, I think when Whitehead got the Oprah pick, we were speculating, wondering aloud, like really what the sales were going to look like there because you can get the Oprah endorsement, but if it's a hard book to read, fewer people are going to read it, like no matter how magically great. And the book is amazing. It is, but this is, I think what we are seeing here is if you just leave things up to the computer and to like the broad public, you're going to end up with some skewed looks at things. Mm -hmm. Um, The mystery thriller category has 15 books in it and all of them are by white people. I I, Um, I could, my, my, I blacked out. Right. I saw this. I couldn't even think about this. Well, let (laughs) let me look at the algorithm just for a second. Cause I'm just going to compare it to, I was a little surprised to say what is not yours is not yours by Helen Oyeyemi, who I love. I like this book Mm -hmm. collection of short stories. It has 2,733 ratings, 
Okay. For an average of 3.64 stars. Do you know <laughs> what the Underground Railroad has? Tell me. 14,000 ratings. What? Seven times as many and 4.05 stars. I, I don't understand. Well, that makes no sense to me. How does that make any kind of sense? I don't know. Uh, let, let's, I'm, I'm furiously Googling here. Uh, does yeah. it also matter, like, the number of reviews that were written? Well, the, 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 well, how many uh, shelves it's on? Well, how, but how can it have... I don't... Uh, here I am, right? That's the four, right? Mm-hmm. Here I am. This Which, is this like, thing. wasn't even reviewed very well. Yeah, here, here I'm going to give it to you right now. No. 2,245 ratings, 3.74 stars. No, Joe. I don't... But what... But, but uh, Rebecca. No. I'm just a sputtering idiot, right? But I, I don't get it. How? I don't how, get it either. How? I don't... I don't but did get no it. But did no human look at it and go, wait a minute... Uh, I don't think they did. I think that that's the whole thing is like, we're not. But like, but why do that? I mean, so we're not manipulating anything. Publishers Weekly, like that, they're, they're, they're a list of the best books of 2008 come out. I'm looking at the, and Colson Whitehead's on the cover, like whatever. I, <laughs> I'm not saying he has to be on the cover. You see what I'm getting at? Like my taste doesn't have to be anyone's taste, but I feel like my taste is in the ballpark of other people's tastes of like what we should say. But like they're opening this up before Swing Time by Zadie Smith has even come out. Right. Or Moon Glow by Michael Shea. I mean, I don't know that these are the best books. I haven't read them yet. I'm going to read both of those. But books. they're big but, ones. But why, why? Why start this now before people have read the November releases? I, I don't. Why can't they? Anyway, I, suddenly, suddenly, just like all, all of the all of my feelings about this suddenly like have just burbled over because well, I'm like it doesn't make any sense. Like yeah, I just don't the, get it. The thing that we talk about every year when we talk about Goodreads is that it is really revealing of like this is an interesting place to see the convergence and the end result of a lot of the pipeline factors that happen in publishing. Yeah. Um, Jamie Canavase, one of our contributors, is a like mystery thriller yes. sort of expert. She wrote a piece particularly about the mystery thriller candidates here. There's 15 of them. I've not read, I think I've only read two of these. They were good books. I'm not saying that any of the white people on this mm-hmm. list don't deserve to be recognized, but it's not difficult to think of great mysteries and thrillers by people of color that came out this, this year as well. And those books by people of color in general in publishing are less frequent. Like they come out less often. There are fewer of them. Yep. They are less likely to get major publisher dollars. Publishers say things to authors of color. Like we already have a black guy on our list this year. We can't publish you on our print until next Mm -hmm. year. Like this is a real thing that happens. Publishers assume that books by people of color are only appealing to people of color. They don't market them as widely as they market books that are by white people, which are assumed to be universal. Mm -hmm. And so then it should be no surprise that a mystery, a thriller, any book, in in any book in any given year, it should be no surprise that it ends up being read by fewer people and therefore ranked by fewer people on Goodreads. Yeah than books by white people because of all these pipeline factors that lead to it. So if you just take ratings on Goodreads and reviews on Goodreads. But they're not even doing that. But I guess it's, I mean, without, I guess if, I guess what I'm, I guess the frustration, I, I sort of made my peace with that Goodreads is just spitting out the data that it's collecting, right? So if it's just right, kind but, of a neutral, you know, whatever systemic problems are going to show up in user ratings and shelvings. I guess I does that make sense? I've sort of made peace with that. Like they're not intervening editorially to say, well, this is how things should be. These are things the way they are, and this is the choice. Uh, in a way, there's a sort of transparency to that that I respect. That says, okay, we're just going to show you what the truth is, and then in that case, the mystery throws being all weight tells us something about the publishing industry that's revealing. They're actually providing a service, right? They're saying this is what happens. 
right? This is the end result of all these sort of, uh, of all the prejudices and, mm-hmm. and obstacles for people of color along the way. But I don't get, there, there has, there's some sort of like, intervention here that right. lets the Underground Railroad not be on the list, but here I am by Jonathan Saffron Foer beyond the list, that cannot be about ratings. It That's cannot true. be about shelving. So if, so then Goodreads doesn't have the sort of, well, we're just presenting the data, to fall back on, right? I mean, is that a, am I being logical well, yeah, like, about that? It's the process is a black box. Like yeah. they say they're analyzing the data, but they don't say exactly what or how. And so I want I want them to methodology corner themselves and make it transparent. I want this to be like those Pew studies that we look at where they right. say like this is exactly how many people we called on the phone. These are exactly the questions. Like these are the words we used when we asked them about books and reading. I mm-hmm. want Goodreads to do the same thing. Here's the formula. that we use, like make it all open so that we can all then see how you got there and how Colson Whitehead has 14,000 ratings and did not appear. 7,000 times, uh, seven times as many as four and has a better star rating is not on the list with four is on. How does that make any sense? It makes zero sense. Like, and you can't, and I think we, we learned, I've read, I've read three books myself about how algorithms are garbage fires presented by people, right? Mm -hmm. And if we just say, well, it's the algorithm, that's not a defense because humans wrote it. You, you know what? The Underground Railroad is in historical fiction. Historical fiction? Mm-hmm. It's in the historical fiction category, and so is Homegoing. That's garbage. That's garbage. Complete garbage. I'm, I'm more mad about that. Mm-hmm. That's garbage. Yeah, I Historical was fiction. Yep, it's in historical fiction. Right. Because um, of the real railroad that was there? Yep. Yeah. Still garbage. Um... Historical fiction. You got to be kidding me. And we've been hearing things like, well, you can write in candidates for. Oh, these. come on. Yeah, I can yeah. write in a presidential candidate too. Yeah. And, how, and Zadie Smith, like, I guess that would be historical, but it's not even out yet. It right. comes out in two weeks. <laughs> this is dumb. I hate this. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. Uh, let me tell you about our next sponsor. Yeah, tell me and about then, a sponsor. Oh, this is cool, gonna, though. This is a cool sponsor. This is cool. Sponsor. And then we're going to play a party game. All right. We'll all right. So just take a sip of whatever you're drinking yeah. over there. We should have done this there's, after there's dark. Why a, are we not, why not are we recording in daylight this time, Jeff? Historical Jen? fiction. This is a cool sponsor, though. We are sponsored again this week by at Nat Geo. Uh, the uh, at Nat Geo Instagram account is the world's top media brand on Instagram. They over, they have over 61 million followers. I have been one of them for wow, several years. Wow, that is <laughs> 61 million. That's a crazy number. I know. It's bonkers. I can attest to how incredible, you know, we all know how incredible the work that National Geographic mm-hmm. does, but I can attest to these photos and the narrative that goes with them is really wonderful. Um, at Nat Geo is a book that brings together the most liked, commented on, and favorited photos from National Geographic's Instagram account, which iconic is a word that we use a lot, but it is a word that is accurately applicable to National Geographic. At Nat Geo is a winning combination of expertly curated and favorite National Geographic photographs from the account. It's... um, the account has had more than 12,000 images posted, and this is the cumulative voice of the contributing photographers. I think that's what's really amazing about the Instagram account and about the book is that any given photo that you see has the the photographer who took it tells you the story of which amazing place they were scuba diving when they took it, what those penguins are doing, who these people are mm. in this um, particular village that they're visiting in a far off place, um, and what they learned and what they saw. And they often do, um, it's well worth 
worth the follow on Instagram. They often do sort of series. So you'll see the same photographer post maybe um, for a week. They're sharing images of the trip that they just went on. And then it shifts over to something else. And you get nature and culture mm. and travel and just so many amazing things. The book at Nat Geo, which is that at symbol, you know, like a handle. Uh, features 300 of these stunning, expertly curated photographs and includes throwbacks as well from the National Geographic Archive. You want this book. You should probably put this book on your holiday list. It's going to be a great addition to anyone's collection of art books, your coffee table. If there's someone who's interested in the world that you have to buy a gift for and you don't know what else to get them, you should start here. Uh, at Nat Geo, again, is the title with the little at symbol. And you can check it out wherever books are sold. Also, please go follow at Nat Geo on Instagram. You will not regret it. Man, I'm still fuming. I know. We're going to do something fun now because I can't do anything else. Yeah. It's okay. Been, tell me about it. Tell it's been a hard day. So our friends at Electric Literature, great. Speaking of the rise of like collective literary mm-hmm. publications, they do interesting, fun projects and they are currently kickstarting a party game called Paper Cuts, a party game for the rude and well-read, which makes me feel very understood. Uh, they have, a, <laughs> they have, f- have a goal of $15,000 and they have almost met it right now with 26 days to go. Um, so they're going to make this, go- they're going to meet the goal. The game is going to exist. You can get your copy. And it's basically a literary version of like apples to apples or cards against humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are prompt cards and then there are response cards. If you play it, the editor passes out Uh, the question card and reads it aloud. And then everyone who's playing is considered a writer and each one submits one of their answer cards uh, face down to the editor. The editor checks them all out, turns them over. Everybody gets to see the funny combinations. And then the editor picks which one is the best. And you accrue, you know, points and acclaim with the people that you're playing with. So I was, they sent me one of these as a gift um, and for coverage consideration. Mm -hmm. And like, if you think I'm not getting drunk and playing this at Book Riot Live, next week. You don't know me at all. So I've pulled, I've pulled one as an example. One of the question cards that I just pulled randomly is what never fails to jumpstart a good whodunit. Mm -hmm. And here are some of the answer cards that I also just randomly selected. Showing, not telling. (laughs) Sylvia Plath. A stack of unread New Yorkers. Mm. That STD everyone got one year at Breadloaf, which like that is an inside, inside publishing. That, that's, a, that's a good short story. It's a whodunit, but the game is figuring out what other MFA candidate gave you chlamydia. Because <laughs> there's multiple. I mean, it could be anybody. <laughs> that uh, personal essay probably exists. In, I'm like, sure it does. I'm sure it does. Implementations actually, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, what never fails to jumpstart a good whodunit, a subtweet. Mm-hmm. And here is my personal favorite. Slaughterhouses 1, 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> Some of the other prompts I randomly pulled out. Uh, How much is it? What are they charging for that? They are charging. Let's see. um, Let's see. You get the paper cuts game if you pledge $25 or more. That's pretty good. Yeah. There's also uh, what helps Philip Marlowe unwind after a long day of sleuthing. A good blank is hard to find. Stories by blank. Oh, and that's the one you get to fill in, right? You get to uh-huh. sort, yeah. Yeah, you get to fill them in with uh, with two cards. Uh, a blank grows in Brooklyn, or blank and blank fist fight in heaven. And there's a, like a jillion more. This is a big box of cards. Um, if you need to like, you know, take a break from reading a book club book, but have your book club do a fun activity together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> this looks like a great one. Uh, I was delighted to flip through these. I'm probably like, this is what I'm going to do till the election is over. It's just like sit in my office and silently laugh by myself at... <laughs> The paper cuts game or like send you pictures of combinations I've come up with. <laughs> That's where we are. You know, right I, I'm sorry. I've been madly Googling while you were doing this. Oh, no. Are and, you mad? No, I, maybe I figured it out. Maybe I need to calm down. Okay. Because I've looked at, so I was looking at the fiction one, the fiction nominees and the girls, right? It's set in the 60s. It's the man's, I'm like, how is that? Uh, and I was like, how well, is that not How is that not a course of fiction? So I went to it and I'm looking at it. And it looks like what Goodreads might be doing is using the number one genre that users have categorized the titles as. Mm. So for Underground Railroad, 600 users have called it historical fiction. 520 users have called it fiction. 600 users are wrong. Well, they're wrong. They're wrong. But I'm just saying. And then with the girls, 953 users have called it fiction. 438 users have called it historical fiction. So if they're, they really are, maybe they really are just looking at, they filtered, okay, fiction, and then a couple of their filters, and this is what they're coming up. Because also another Brooklyn by um, Jacqueline Woodson is, it's someone's memory getting triggered, but it's largely set in the 1970s in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's about a specific place in time. Well, I guess we could fight about what this historical fiction is, but more people have labeled that histor- okay. uh, fiction than historical fiction. So maybe I need to calm down. Maybe I need to calm down. I think calm down a little, but not all the way. Yeah, I'm still mad. But I, I but, Keep a but 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 I think maybe Goodreads can, can now. I, I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are just applying filters. Yeah, it's defensible. It's defensible. It's wrong. It's wrong, not like, but it's, defensible. It's not an excuse, but it's a reason. Right. Man, that's such a good one. That's my favorite. Well, it's not excuse. It's not an excuse, but that's, it's a reason. That's a that's an yeah. <laughs> that's a reason, but it's not an. But excuse. it's not an excuse. Sorry, I sorry I had to take over. I had to get that out because no, I wanted no, no. I wanted I'm to say, I wanted to get that out there that maybe we figured it out there. Okay, here's one more delight. Yeah, we have one to more delight. delight. One, one more delight. delight, and no more no more Grinching from me. That's our show title. Yeah, right. One more delight. <laughs> one more delight. If you are a user of an Android phone, oh, this is great too. You can now cast Harry Potter spells, three of them, onto your Android phone to make them do things. Mm-hmm. So you can you know light up your Android and you can say, okay, Google Lumos. And it will light up your phone's flashlight. You can say, okay, Google, Knox to turn it off. And you can say, okay, Google, Silencio to turn off your phone's volume. That's so much fun. Isn't it so cool? That is delight. That's just delightful because it doesn't, it's not hard for them to implement. It's not a seat feature that's going to sell a bunch of phones. It's just, it's just good, clean fun. It's just delight. It's just good, clean fun. Delight. We need some good, clean fun, especially today. Yeah. As, as speaking, that, that reminds me of another delightful thing that... Oh, um, tell me. Rin, well, you know, I think Rincey wrote about this last week. I don't think yes, we're talking about... Yeah, oh, this controls, yeah. Speaking of... Um, no, no, not that. Oh, the not sound th- thing. The ambient sound. So yeah. we'll put a link in the show notes. There's this site, but basically what they do is they create soundscapes that you can listen to, you can stream, or you can pay a few bucks and download it that are meant to sound like certain places. Um, all kinds of stuff. But what caught Rincey's attention was that some of them are literary. So you could... There's, they have one that sounds like the Gryffindor, what they think the Gryffindor common room would sound like, what, um, uh, you know, places in Lord of the Rivendell would sound mm-hmm. like, um, the Prancing Pony, and uh, uh, Wisteria, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, Sherlock Holmes, things like that. And 
there's they're a lot of fun. I have to say, I was yeah, delighted. And they based are on delight. the traffic we got from that post, a lot of people found it yeah. delightful. So go if you need a, a happy place to go to. I'm going to go put one of these on it's, and settle down myself. It's really good white noise. The Gryffindor oh, common great. room is like a crackling fire, and a mm-hmm. page turns every couple of minutes. Oh, it is nice. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. comforting. You can go. There's a whole bunch uh, to check out. Um, and you can even make your own, which is interesting, but I don't know what I'm doing. But some of you might be more technically or uh, uh, um, otherwise. Someone should do a night circus one. Oh, Cirque du Rev. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I wonder what I, I, I had thought in passing about other books that might take a soundscape. And I wasn't coming up with a great one, but that's a good one. That's yeah. a really good one. Um, maybe maybe Dickens, like, you know, something, oh, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, something like that. Okay, um, that's our show. Thanks to our sponsors, Audible, Nat Geo, Balls, uh, Madison Reed, for sponsoring the show. You can give us feedback. We want to hear from independent booksellers that are not close to major metropolitan areas. Do you have sales rep come to you? Are you interested in Book Expo that's more catered to your needs? Is that, you know, is that a problem that's out there for them to solve? Um, as always, you can send us feedback at podcast at bookriot.com. Um, we're going to see a bunch of you next weekend at Book Riot Live. We're really looking forward to it. Please, please, if you're coming, come say hi to us. Don't be shy. Don't don't say it's going to be weird. It's it will be weird, but it's just regular weirdness of interhuman personal relationships. It's just it's it's within one standard deviation of human weirdness. Don't 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 worry about it. Okay, so just come. We want to talk to you. We're going to be mad at you if you don't. If I see you tweeting at me after I I wanted to meet I wanted to come say hi, but I was too nervous. I'm going to be I'm going to be literally angry. I yeah. literally will be angry. If, you if you've that. never seen us before, Jeff is very tall, and yes. I'm very short and have pink hair. That's right. That's right. Um. So and I have zero hair. So that's going to be very easy. To, to spot. But thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck the rest of this week. Hang in there. Find Hang your happy right. place. Listen to Gryffindor Common Rooms and get mad at Goodreads. That's what I've clearly what I'm doing right now. That's how <laughs> this is all transference. That's all. It's not business. misdirected at all. No, no, no. My rage at sort of uh, suspect uh, rating systems is not at all <laughs> misplaced uh, frustration and anger. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>